Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. And the best part about podcasts is they create a 25th hour in the day. Whenever I'm commuting, metro, car, even when I'm riding my bike around town, although in that case, one earphone only, safety kids, I'm always listening to podcasts. And this offseason, you can get all the insights, all the news, all the analysis, and Logan and I occasionally make a joke or two in the Take Command podcast on demand so it fits in to your busy schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your pods. This is Matt Spiegel, and I can't wait to bring you Season 2 of the PBP, Voices of Baseball. The very best play-by-play voices in the game talk about their craft. It's a job so special that even Joe Buck told us he will probably go back to it. I'm 53, basically 54. I I think it's too early to say nevers at this point in my life. I think at some point I'll get the itch again. Incredible guests sharing great stories from your favorite teams coming this year. Find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find podcasts. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Take Command podcast from Odyssey Sports. I'm Craig Hoffman. That is Logan Paulson. And with us today, Logan, he was with you down in Mobile, uh, Sam Fortier of the Washington Post, somehow making his podcast debut. Sam, one of the hardest to schedule men in the entire DC media sphere. But we did it. The, I, I appreciate you guys having me. It's funny. Uh, I did a, a hit with Logan down in Mobile, and he he suggested a, a similar thing. It's certainly not my intention to be the reputation uh, as a hard-to-schedule guy, but I'm glad that we finally made it happen. I'm, I'm super excited to chop it up with you guys. Yeah. He's just uh, big-time, Craig. He just big-times <laughs> just says, oh, I got, I, got, I got an agent I got to talk to. I got a coach I got to talk to. You're like, oh, I know where I'm at in the hierarchy. Well, and I think that's what he does here, too. It's okay. I got you. I he's got to do his job, so there is that. You got to do what you got to do, man. I get you, you know? Like. If, you know, I, I didn't play 10 years in the league, so I got to get information other ways because I can't, I'm not as good I mean, as you're just assume, sitting there. You're assuming, I, you're assuming I get information. I just kind of <laughs> hang out down there and just shoot the <laughs> 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 All right, so uh, today on the show, we will rev- or review these two guys' week in Mobile. Um, I, I also had a weekend trip, but I was just in Charlottesville, Virginia, doing whatever I wanted. So I don't really Dude, have I was intel. in Charlottesville, too, at the airport. I know that airport really well. Oh, wait. Had had two five hour layovers there. So I know the whole airport now. Why did Got you it. connect in Charlotte? That's OK. That's, we need to talk about that. Not that's on. Maybe yep. that's a radio show. topic. <laughs> I didn't even know there was an airport in Charlottesville. Dude, that's where I was at. Crushing it. I uh we we drove so it wasn't I I wouldn't have seen you um but anyway the point is these guys were in Mobile at the Senior Bowl um what I guess Sam I'll start with you like what's your top line item from like non-commanders just the week in general what's kind of the big story for you coming out of the Senior Bowl yeah I think it was a little bit of a a down year in terms of star power uh in, in terms of top end talent at the Senior Bowl I don't think that there was you know the clear cut guy guys that there maybe were last year um but i think there was was some good depth there and i think that there was uh, some positions to like uh particularly i mean like you said not necessarily for the commanders but i thought the offensive line groups the running back groups uh were pretty strong uh the linebacker group i think was the weakest the quarterbacks were, were pretty weak uh, but that's sort of just my general overview of, of what we saw in mobile in terms of on-field talent yeah, I always laugh when it's like, oh, this is a strong draft or a weak draft. I'm like, it's strong positions you need. It's a strong draft. Screw everybody else. Right. Um, Logan, I feel like that's kind of what we talked about last week, too, is like the the positional strength in this draft is, 
in great alignment with what Washington ultimately, especially early, is going to be looking for. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, obviously the offensive line, um, I think that that was probably the strongest group. That and, like, the um, defensive line edge rusher group is very strong. Like, I know uh, Sam mentioned probably not the top end, but you'll probably see three dudes from the defensive line get drafted potentially at the bottom of the first. You might see three or four dudes from the offensive line kind of in that first, second round area. So that group's pretty deep. I'd say receiver was pretty down. Cornerback was pretty down. Um, you know, there were some linebackers there that I think have some ability, but the general devaluation of the linebacker position is probably not going to bode very well for that group getting picked very high. Um, but yeah, I'd say, I, I'd say, the star power there was in the offensive and defensive line groups. I'm trying to think if there's anybody I'm forgetting. Um, but yeah, that's kind of generally what I would agree with overall, you know, in terms of like big themes. Uh, obviously, some people stood out in the wide receiver group, like the kid from Stanford did an excellent job um, and probably made himself a lot of money. But because of his injury history in college, probably not going to get into that second round group. Maybe he will. Who knows? But that's kind of what you're dealing with, with, with the people that were there, kind of a bunch of. I don't want to say misfit toys, but guys that are looking to kind of establish themselves, you know, and, and receiver generally is just down this year, but you know, none of those top corners were there. None of the, you know what I'm saying? So it's just a little bit kind of different vibe at the senior bowl this year. Yeah. There's always guys though, that do kind of make that leap, that jump where it's like, Oh, that was maybe a, a second round guy. Now he's mm -hmm. being talked about middle of the first or whatever it may be, you know, yeah. late round guy who's now talking about second round pick. Who are some of the movers, shakers for both of you guys? Logan, I'll let you start. Who are some of the movers and shakers this week for, you know, really helping themselves or, you know, if anybody really hurt themselves this week? Yeah, let's, I mean, let's just start with the positive, like the offensive lineman in particular. I, I think a guy that really stuck out to me was Darnell Wright. Uh, you know, he was a guy that when I watched his film, I was kind of like, you should be being talked about as a first round selection. And everyone kind of had him in that, like, you know, that big board that everyone talks about in that 50 to 60 kind of range. And um, I just didn't feel like that jived. And then after this week, you're starting to see people kind of mock him at the bottom of the first, which feels right, which feels kind of more in line with what his tape was showing. So I don't know if he's a riser, but I think the the media is kind of being aware of him a little bit more. Obviously, um, the kid from Ohio State, Dewan Jones, is a guy that played one day of practice, but was very dominant in that day. And so, again, a guy that was probably you know, kind of mid second round, slowly creeping up people's boards. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how that all shakes out. But those two guys for sure help themselves. And in the offensive line group, a guy that I'd say hurt himself a little bit would probably be the kid from BYU, Blake Freeland. Um, big, tall kid, kind of played an outside zone system in college and just had a really hard time uh, kind of anchoring versus bull rushes and stuff. And so that to me showed up on his film. So not really a mover or a riser for me, but I know PFF had them at, had, had him as their fourth rated tackle. So to me, after this week, those other two guys probably jump. Maybe the kid from Syracuse also jump him. So to me, now he's the seventh or eighth best, best tackle in the group. And I think those other guys just did a really nice job kind of showing themselves to be uh, really dominant, uh, you know, kind of NFL starting caliber players, I guess. Yeah, to echo Logan, I think the, his note about Dewan Jones and, and Darnell Wright uh, were pretty good. Those guys are both huge guys. I mean, uh, mm. you know, Darnell is 6'5", is Dewan Jones 6'8", uh, both, you know, 340-plus. Uh, one guy that, that stuck out to me, particularly if, if Washington, you know, really does commit to this run-first approach, which I'm still skeptical of, but I think a, a riser, um, and, and not that he was uh, – rated low, you know, for a center to coming in, but John Michael Schmitz, the, the Minnesota center. I thought, yeah. I thought he played really well, especially in the run game. I think Logan, you and I talked about him being able to reach shades. Um, mm -hmm. 
and, and you know, just really show his dominance in the run game. I, I talked to him and he joked that Minnesota ran like 80% of the time last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think that he would fit in really well schematically. Probably not, obviously not a, a first round pick when you're talking about positional value of, of center. Uh, but, you know, in the second or third, um, you know, maybe, maybe third is a risk. But I, I think that's sort of the range that you're talking about for him. And he he's a little bit, he's not Tyler Larson size, uh, you know, but I think he's like the, the West Schweitzer um, kind of size as well. And then guys that hurt, uh, help themselves. I think that people liked Julius Brents, the, the corner out of Kansas State. He was uh, a little longer, uh, 6'3", 202. Uh, this DB's group wasn't wasn't super uh, talented. I don't think that uh, people were, were very high on them. But I had a conversation, a couple of conversations with people who were like, you know, if we're looking, you know, later in the draft, that guy mm-hmm. with his size, you know, we think we could coach him up. Um, I think that he's a guy that that helped himself. The guys that hurt themselves or hurt themselves. Uh, Logan mentioned Matthew Bergeron, the, the Syracuse offensive lineman. I don't think he had uh, a great week. Um, and- Sam, you're just, you don't have to prove that you're not biased. <laughs> well, I was going to say it's a little disappointing. Um, I, I mean, think he was fine. I think that's the thing. It's like people – the senior bowl is funny in this way. Sorry to cut you off, Sam. It's no, like no, no. Julius Brents, for example, right? His tape is kind of middle like middle of the road to below average, right? He comes in, he has – the first day of one-on-ones, he crushed it. Then he kind of gets in the, in the narrative. He gets in the sphere of conversation. And then the next two days were not very good. So you know what I mean? So it's like he had one excellent day, two kind of average days – that I feel like more aligned with the film, right? That that is there, and I think the same thing happened with Matthew. Like Matthew had a bad day, and then he had two good days, but he kind of misses the the media kind of narrative for the week, right? Does that make sense? What I'm saying, like, it's you're really saying I'm caught up in the narratives. No, 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 no. I'm just saying generally, like, like if you you're saying that you step, have a first impression and you're susceptible to it because if you, like, if you take because we're back, human and that's how it works. If you just take a step back and say, like, that's what happened. Like everyone says, oh, this guy's looking good, and then it kind of, but like, think about Dewan Jones is a perfect example. He practiced one day and he missed the rest of the West, and everybody was talking about Dewan Jones even on the third day. So like. It, I don't. I just think there is like this momentum, this inertia associated with the Senior Bowl that, and this confirmation bias that comes in. I think oftentimes. So, in terms of guys that played well, like no one's talking about Tyler Steen from Alabama. No one's talking about Matthew Bergeron because they were consistent. They just they didn't do anything wow. But like those are two starting caliber players in the NFL, and I think they showed that. Now they didn't have the Dewan Jones measurement. They didn't have um, you know the the Daryl Wright kind of pancake block and one-on-one you know that none of that showed up but in terms of consistent play that's where it's hard to kind of I think distinguish from like the stuff that PFF puts out every hour there right in terms of promoting narratives and promoting guys and like I don't know that that, I just wanted to bring that up just as a a point in general the senior bowl is funny in that way because it does kind of get this inertia for certain guys that come out really hot but did they perform that much better than other people there I don't know well, and yeah, that can carry through the whole draft process too. Absolutely. Like I, I think you know, a couple of years ago when Baker went one overall, like he comes to the Senior Bowl late, everyone's it's super flashy. It's like, oh my god, Baker's here! He yeah. dominates the week. He was incredible yeah. all week. He has a great combine. He goes out and throws well, um, and then he winds up going number one overall. Would he have anyway based off the tape because his tape was really good? I mean, he won the Heisman Trophy, um, maybe. But there, there is some of that I think that does carry. It, like it starts at the Senior Bowl, um, and mm-hmm. I know. Uh, Jim Nagy's probably like, yeah, good job, Craig. The Senior Bowl or the the draft starts in Mobile. That's their whole slogan, right? But it starts in Mobile and then can carry throughout this entire process if a guy has a good process, good interviews, good workouts, all that kind of stuff. 
And I, I do like to kind of take a step back on, on Logan's point. I do think with the PFF putting things out every hour, like since the draft shifted to prime time, which I think was like 2010, obviously like the coverage of the draft, the winners and losers, the tendency to say, Hey, you know, who's helping themselves, who's hurting themselves at, at every point. Um, you know, it's, it's three months basically until the, until the draft. I think that that sort of lends itself to people not overthinking necessarily, but sometimes overthinking sometimes, uh, you know, saying, Oh, we, this person's got to move. This person's got to shake. Uh, it's sort of like that Eli Apple year where, where an anonymous Mm. scout was like, he can't cook. And like people made that into a referendum on whether he could play football. I don't know if you guys remember that. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Now that you mention it, but it's just, uh, I think one of the hardest things about the draft and I've been covering the league for three years. and, And so I'm still like, you know, trying to parse this out, but figuring out what is good information, what is bad information, mm. you know, because obviously, you know, when you talk about draft analysis, sometimes there are guys that you can tell like, oh, you know, this agent's in their ear because he's talking up all their clients. You got, uh, you know, certain scouts and obviously like uh, opinions are so different, not just from team to team, but like from scout to scout, from GM yeah. to GM. And I think it's hard sometimes to, to peg, you know, where is this guy? And obviously, you know, you look at, you refer back to the film, but the amount of time, the amount of opinions, the amount of attention that's focused on the draft can can make it hard to really pin down like sure. through this fluctuating process. No, I think that's absolutely right. And I think the the Senior Bowl is kind of a microcosm of that. And I think it's uh, it's a really fun event. I think it's it's got a lot of benefits, you know, in terms of being able to see, you know, a guy like Dewan Jones go against elite pass rushers, you know, and just see how his length um, and his size and how his foot speed kind of matches up, not on like once a game type of a thing but once every couple of minutes you get to see oh this guy's probably gonna be a first round defensive end how does he match up oh he dominated that rep oh this is him in in, in team like blocking a three t- you know what i mean like all those things are so important to your evaluation because it says kind of checks this big box of saying he can do it against better talent but it is i think it's really interesting to come out of the week and the other thing that was interesting is i had a couple conversations with people about the dbs right and I, what I found was like, to your point, like Julius Brent's had a really good day. Right. And then I talked to the uh, gentleman and he was just like, Oh, I haven't watched this film yet, but he's my favorite guy here. And I'm like, that is really, you know, like obviously favorite for the day, but is it once you watch them and kind of digest the tape and kind of figure out what's going on, is he still your favorite guy? That would be my question. And then that, that's, what's hard about this process. Cause if you talk to a coach while you're down there, they haven't watched any of the DBs yet. If you watch, watch, talk to a regional scout, they haven't watched half those guys, right? If you talk to an agent, they're going to plug their guy, right? So it's really an interesting environment in terms of getting and gleaning information and like what's real. Like you talked to talked to a couple guys from PFF, and I was like, "So what do you think of so and so?" He's like, "Well, I haven't watched him," and I was like, "Why?" Well, because his brother's bad in the NFL. I'm like, is that a good reason not to watch a guy? You know, and yeah. and this guy's a a big big person in PFF, so. That's where that's why the it's fun. It's really fun to be down there. But you always got to kind of circle back and say, what is the what is the film saying? How is this what this guy's saying jive with my perspective on the film? And how is this guy's performance jiving with the film? Right. So, for example, there's a kid from uh, I forget um, the Gamecocks. I forget his name at the moment. South but, Carolina. Yes. Yeah, oh, Carolina. Uh, Darius the the corner. Yeah. He had a really good week. So I'm like, I'm going to go watch his film. And his film was not that exciting. So what about that environment in Mobile allows him to speak up? Is it a defensive scheme change? Is it the fact that it's simple? Is it the fact that they're just running straight one-on-ones and he's more of a man guy and was asked to play more zone in college? That's where that evaluation gets a little wonky, in my opinion, because everyone comes out saying, oh, we had a really good week of practice. But how do you 
kind of weigh that with the film and then the interview process and all that kind of stuff. So I got on a little tangent there, but I think that that is why Mobile is fun. No, no it's, it's really important. Go ahead, Sam. I, well, I was going to say, and I think the other component of this, and it's hard, you know, in the, in the limited time, but I think a lot of teams, it's the vibe check of the prospect yeah. and, and, and how, you know, is this guy going to, you know, be a good fit for, for our locker room, for our culture. And like, you know, the, the name that sticks out to me because he has such a big personality is is Cody Mock, the North Dakota State kid who played left tackle, bumped inside. He played all five spots at, at the senior yeah. bowl. And, and, you know, I don't think he looked, you know, great at any of them, but I think that's okay coming from, you know, FCS stepping up. But he has a great personality, and maybe that's just for the media. He has, like, no front teeth. Uh, you know, he's always spiking the ball after touchdowns. like, And he has, like, this very long red hair. Red hair. So, obviously, like, I got to, you know – I, I'm Say naturally both of you. like <laughs> both of you for, might as well go from one one overall. Right, exactly. <laughs> if uh, if we were the GM of the co GMs of the Commanders for sure. Uh, but uh, you know, and there are obviously some guys where where you say, okay, you know, does this guy is he going to fit? Did he clash with his coaches? And and so I think that that's probably the other more underrated part. And you'll get more of it probably at the combine. Mm. Uh, but just the vibe check on guys, I think, is super key. Yeah, and, and I think that's also a huge information exchange type of place as well, right? Because that's something that I remember from the Senior Bowl, from Combine, from my days on the beat, is like you start to hear, it's like, well, why doesn't this guy have more buzz? And it's like, well, because his coach thinks he's a moron. And you're like, oh, well, he's he's probably not going to be great in the NFL if he's not that smart, um, you know, football IQ-wise or, or whatever the, the thing may be. Or like, no, you know, hey, he's not having a – he's not a great workout guy, but – um, the tape is good and he's the hardest worker they've ever seen. And you start to hear some of that stuff. And some of that is, you know, uh, as you said, Logan, it's kind of planted, if you will, whether it's an agent or whether the college coaches have someone's ear. Um, you know, there's a good relationship between a pro coach and a college coach. They're trying to protect someone, whatever the media narrative is. Ultimately, we don't know what's, Sam, going back to kind of your original point, what's good information or bad information until draft day. Because they're not, they're not gonna, you know, draft on bad information um, or the, you know, stuff they put out is like distractions. And then even then, like, okay, that told us what they were thinking at the time. We still don't know how it's gonna play out. That takes, you know, sometimes it takes a year, sometimes it takes five, sometimes it takes ten to yeah. see whether or not that that information they were acting upon that they thought was good information was actually good information in, in terms of its correctness. So it is a very multi-stage process, and it is why you know, this process kind of exists as opposed to just being like, all right, NFL season's over. We've got all the tape. What what do we need? You know, what do we need more time for? Okay, we'll give a little time for the coaches to watch it. But we don't need we don't need to do interviews. We don't need to do workouts. Like we have the tape. It's like, no, there's there's a lot of other stuff that goes into it to from a workout standpoint, put guys on the same playing field in in like in a you know, something like the senior bowl, literally the same playing field, or at the combine, the same workout, you know, in terms of metrics and things like that. And then obviously the information, the medicals that happen in Indy are super important. Um, a lot of people will tell you that's actually the most important thing that happens in Indianapolis at the Combine is the medicals. So it's it's very multifactorial, although, you know, Logan, kind of what you were saying, there's only so far it should stray from the tape because that's at the end of the day what they got to do is go out and play football. Yeah, and I think, you know, you, you bring up an interesting point. Like I was talking with somebody about um, the Maryland left tackle, you know, and he's super inconsistent on tape like he's you know one play he's got the best play of all time and then the next play it's like he gets beat by like some guy who's pumping gas you know next year whatever it is you know what i'm saying so and then i had a conversation with someone say like i had an interview with him and basically what he said is like i get him now and i was like oh so is that a good thing he's like 
I don't know if it's a good thing, but I just understand him more now, you know? And so kind of to your point, just kind of fleshing out that process, getting more information, kind of saying, maybe this is why he is this way. Is this a correctable thing? It wasn't like he came out of the interview saying, oh, like, I love this guy. It was like, I get it. And I think there is something like an empathy there that these events afford you, right? Because people don't understand that, like, you have practice at the senior, but but they also have interviews, right? It's like a big interview process. They get to interview all these players. So, um understanding the guy, understanding how he fits. Like I remember I was talking with a coach, a guy that I used to work with when I was in Atlanta and he was like, Oh yeah. Like half the reason I interview a guy is just to see if I'm compatible with him. You know, if I would like to coach him. And cause I think when you get really down to it, like I'm doing DBs right now and all the DBs from the senior bowl, were kind of like we talked about kind of so, so they're probably like fourth round and below. You might get a couple guys, probably two guys that might sneak into the second, third round area, but on the whole, they're kind of lower guys. But when you come to those decisions, it's like, can I develop this guy? Can I build a relationship with this guy? Can I communicate with this guy? And that's where that those interviews become extremely significant because it's like, oh, shoot, like, I'd rather coach this guy. And who am I going to spend more time investing in developing? Is a guy that I like, you know, so that's another really important element of these events. And to your point, Logan, I think I had a conversation with the GM who said that he like when he talks to his scouts, like in the war room before the draft, you like there, he thinks that if you put on the tape and you say, oh, you know, I want these three receivers in this order, you can yeah. talk to another scout who you respect just as much. And he has the receivers in the different order. And so he talked about like, it's important for him to, for, for his scouts to tier guys. Okay. You know, mm. this guy is clearly tier one and that's fine. But these three receivers, that's tier two. Like, I'm happy if we end up with either of them. Because he thinks, like, if you start yes. ranking guys, then you can you can say, oh, you know, you can take that personal, like, oh, this scout has this guy ranked ahead of my guy, so I need to fight for my guy. But if you put it in tiers, it, he thinks it, it minimizes the ego in the room to say, okay, we generally are on the same page about this guy. And if we end up with your guy or my guy, we're still ending up with, with what we see as an equal talent. Right. Well, I think that's a really good point. Like, even last year with Brian Robinson and like Tyler Algiers, right? Mm-hmm. Like they were probably the same tier. So if you end up with Tyler Algiers or Brian Robinson, does it affect the outcome? Like, are they going to become different pros? And obviously that's an unknowable thing, but at least they're, they're kind of grouped pre, uh, you know, preseason in that way. So when it comes to that time and, you know, B Rob's not on the board or Tyler Algiers is not on the board, you say, okay, this is the way we're going to go. And they're from the same pool. It's kind of what I did with the old line this year. And it makes it so much easier. You're pretty much giving them like, can this guy start in the NFL? Is he a backup? And then kind of go from there. And it makes it, instead of ranking one, two, three, four, five, it just makes the process so much easier because they're kind of from the same pool. So you're kind of saying, oh, in in the second round, if Washington's picking a line, there's four guys here that I think fit the bill. And, and then it becomes a little bit less taxing if Dewan Jones gets drafted ahead or Darrell Smith gets drafted ahead because there's still two more guys at 16 that are in that same sphere, which I think is a really another really good point. And another reason why the senior bowl is so important because you get to kind of see it with your eyes and say, these guys aren't that far. If I had to go, if I had to rank them, I'd put these two guys ahead, but there's not that, not that this huge gap between these four players or whatever. And I think that even goes back to like, that's why I think the GM you have like your primary job is to process and wait all these different all this different information in like the best way possible. You got to listen to your doctor about the medical. You got to listen to the scout about the tape. You got to talk to the data guys about the analytics. And and like, how does that all fit together? And how do we say, okay, like this, this pick, like this is the guy that we think 
has the highest upside or the highest floor or whatever you're looking for. But like, and, and what I, uh, profiled Martin Mayhew when they first hired him. I know he's not the ultimate decision maker, but that was the thing that people talked about him, you know, being a consensus builder, being a, you know, be able to weight mm. all the different information. Um, not that Marty Herney is, is not like that or not that some of these other GMs are like that, but I think that is probably the most important skill, like in the same way that the head coach, you know, you need, you know, you need a leader, a guy that can fire people up. But um, I think that is, you know, the number one skill. Yeah, the uh, the tiers are great uh, for that, and I know uh, some of the, the the old front office in Washington, some of the folks there kind of thought that way. They had colors, and Logan, I think we talked about that on the last podcast too. Like you had your greens, your blues, your reds, yeah. well, however it is, whatever color system teams use. Terrible for sports talk radio. You need very definitive <laughs> rankings for sports talk radio, but for actual scouting, uh, that's the tiers. Are nice. Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. Take Command Podcast from Odyssey Sports. I'm Greg Hoffman. That's Logan Paulson. Sam Fortier of the Washington Post is with us. So I want to I want to double click on the DBs real quick because that is definitely an area of need for Washington. But I, I guess I would ask both of you guys uh, is like in what way do you think they need a starting outside corner to replace Kendall Fuller? Like, do you anticipate them moving on? And Sam, we'll start with you and whatever info you might have on that because there's quite a bit of, of cap savings uh, potentially to be had there. Um, obviously, there's some questions at nickel as well, and that's a starting position for this defense. So, like, what do they actually need at corner before we dive back into the group and, and how they could potentially fill it? Yeah, I, I think that it's... My my sense is right now, like there are a couple different options on the table. Certainly, moving on from from Kendall is a possibility. Um, I think you could also see him move inside to solve the the nickel problem. Obviously, he's played that before, um, and and it probably it just depends on on how things shake out, both free agency um, and and the draft period. Uh, to me, I think it makes most sense to bump him inside. Um, maybe you you know restructure his contract if if you're worried about the cap hit, um, but. <sighs> And, and maybe you go outside corner in the first round. Maybe you go offensive line. But I think that right now, from from where things stand, there are a couple different options. But to me, it makes the most sense to move him inside. Yeah, I would agree. I think um, I think you need another outside corner, and I think you were kind of navigating that um, with you know with the cornerback situation, what it was last year, and then Benjamin St. Juice evolution, kind of to show you that he can be a true number one outside guy. And so I think you still need a number one outside guy at some point. You need to make that decision. And right now, I will say the top of this draft is very, um, you know, and obviously there's a free agent route, but the the top of this draft is very 
full of outside guys that are that are very very talented and you know you got joy porter jr you got christian gonzalez you got kylie ringo you got cam smith clark phillips emmanuel forbes all those guys will potentially go in the first round that's five six outside guys that are very very talented that could potentially go in the first round so in terms of density at the top of this thing there's a lot of guys that are very talented and so it just seems to me like the value at 16 will be there assuming that the tackle from Georgia is not there, Broderick, <clears throat> Broderick Jones. So that, that just seems like a natural fit. Bump Kendall inside, get better on the outside. Like if you look at the one area where they struggled, it's having like a true 1A or, or 1B at the cornerback spot. And you look at teams that are really good on the outside. I'm going to take Philadelphia as an example. They have two really dynamic corners on the outside and then two dynamic safeties. And what that does, and again, you can talk about like which comes first there from a philosophical standpoint, excuse me, like with their seven off awesome pass rushers in Philadelphia and their awesome secondary, like what is the causation there? But I think you at least put yourself in a position bringing in a more skilled outside player to kind of vaunt that defense into the next sphere. Obviously, I think you need some pass rush depth as well, but that's something that can be addressed later. But I think that needs to be kind of the mindset of this team is like, how do you get that true like 1A, 1B type guy on the outside to match with Benjamin St. Just, get Kendall inside or whoever's going to be inside. And then all of a sudden that becomes a much different secondary, much different secondary dynamic. And the only reason I would kind of lean towards drafting, as I talked about this with you before, Craig, is free agent corners tend to not transfer schemes very well traditionally, right? So here's a guy you can kind of bring up with your own verbiage, your own philosophy, your own approach. And I think that that is um, maybe the way I would go if I was the GM. And like quarterbacks, uh, Washington has a very recent example of a high-priced free agent (laughs) (laughs) or a high-priced acquisition not necessarily working out in that regard. So I think that's a a very good point. One thing, and I'm curious, Logan, your thoughts on this, because I think that people – inside the building or maybe split on this. Benjamin St. Juice at the end of the year at Locker Room Cleanout Day told us he felt like this year he established himself as a potential number one corner. He felt like, you know, he matched up on Justin Jefferson. You know, he, he was drawing some of the bigger assignments. And he told me, I, I can be that number one guy. That's where I feel like my career is trending. I'm ready to take that mantle. I don't know. I think some people maybe in the building are confident he can do that, but I'm not sure everyone is sold mm. on that. And so I'm curious where you think like he could go from here. Well, I think that's the thing about cornerback specifically is there tends to be a lot of variance at the position. So like, is this just an up year for him or is he kind of actually taken the next step and reached a new plateau in his career where he can kind of work on building even further? And I think that's a very tough question. I think when you look at him fundamentally and how he fits in this defense, I would probably side with him. I think he's long and he's exceptionally quick. I think he studies really well. That's one of the things with the kids at the senior ball that really stuck out to me is you could tell they didn't study. And so like, you know, when the receiver gets to 10 yards and they break inside, they take three steps to accelerate to the cut as opposed to like a one, two T cut, right? Because they've, they don't know. Right. And Benjamin St. Juice is always a guy who seems to know. Right. And so I think, you know, and, and I think that's the, maybe the point of this conversation right now is that it doesn't matter if he's a true one, if he, you need a 1A, 1B, it's like, it's like this is the thing that I think philosophically people understand. It's you can't have like one, one good offensive lineman and everybody else be kind of average. Like that's not how it works. You need to be average across the board on offensive line. I, I think it's the same thing with the secondary. You need two good dudes outside. So for me, it doesn't matter if he's 1A or 1B. You need another guy. 
and and then you can kind of figure out how you want to allocate those really tough responsibilities moving forward. But I think irrespective of how you view him, you need another guy it is real ultimately what it comes down to. Yeah, yeah, and how you manage the humans is also really important because yeah. I think back, you know, it's, if time is a flat circle in Washington football, it's really <laughs> honestly bizarre. Um, but you think back to when Bashad Breeland was coming up and he yeah. was a young player, fourth rounder, I believe, who was really good and, and looked to be developing into a solid one. And they bring in Jano. And Josh at the time was seen as maybe the best corner in football. And obviously folks had questions and there's all that kind of stuff, but he was certainly considered, you know, one of the top five uh, by any, any reasonable measure. And Breland kind of took that personally. He's like, I, what do you mean? Like this, you know, I was, I'm the paid. guy. He also didn't get paid. Right. right. Well, and there was a financial aspect to it. And so, you know, if you're St. Juice and you're coming up in a couple of years or maybe even after next year on, on a contract, like, do you want to be seen as that number one guy? Because that's going to get you more money. And like, how does that affect everything? And obviously like, Benjamin St. Just is a very different person than Bashad Breeland. Um, but there is Bree was one of a kind. Everyone is a different person than Bashad Breeland. Um, only guy I've ever known to get thrown out of practice for listening to his own music in his headphones during a walkthrough. Um, but anyway, uh, the, the, the human management here of like being clear with St. Juice of like, yeah, we, we want a one, a one B and you're one a or whatever it is yeah. like that, that element of it is important because otherwise you wind up knocking St. Juice off and you know, his mentals are off and he's not as good of a player. So I do think that that, like that sounds, you know, wishy-washy or whatever, but like I've seen it happen and Logan, I'm sure you've seen it, Sam, you've seen it in locker rooms that you've covered. Like, how you how you talk through these things matters and like in philly certainly darius slay had to be on board with james bradbury coming in and they're in the super bowl now so is saint juice on board with them you know taking a corner for in the first round or is he going to be like yo i thought that was my job like you gotta you gotta make sure that he knows where he stands uh and how much you value him otherwise you wind up not with one a and one b but you wind up with a, a first round rookie who's got a bunch of eyes on him and a guy who should be your number one corner who's in his own head and you know playing not very consistent football and when washington had this situation last year where you you draft Jahan dotson when your star receiver hasn't been paid there isn't that contract coming up to say hey no, we, we do love you, Terry. We do value you. Here is your money. Uh, so I think that – but if you go to Benjamin St. Juice and you say, okay, we took Joey Porter Jr. or whomever from that list, like we just need dudes. Like I, I think that there's got to be some element of, okay, you know, like this is how the board shook out or, or this is what we feel like we need because, I mean, it's it's – you could say this about every position with every team, right? You always want as much talent as possible. But I do think with corner specifically, it's sort of like the wide receiver market. Like you can never have enough good ones. And there are right. so many good ones coming up because of seven on seven, because of the structures of the game, because of the passing at the college level, whatever. Like uh, that's why, I mean, like the Chiefs are going to the Super Bowl with two starting corners who are rookies. Uh, you know, one was picked in the fourth round. One was picked in the seventh round. Like, like corners, there's going to be good corners available, but I still think the top end elite talents, like you see Patrick Sertan, like those guys are still at a premium because you, there's a lot of there's a high floor, but there, there's a few who only get to that high ceiling. So I think that's how you got to approach it if you do end up going that route. Well, and also I think the fact that you would be drafting a guy is somewhat helpful, and what I mean by that is like he'll be coming up for his contract first, right? So like they right. can talk with totally. their money at that point, right? And like. That's one of the benefits of draft of drafting a guy, right? Is he's going to be cheaper, right? So it, it does. It's not like you're going to. I think you know, like when they brought in, um, 
the Carolina guy, you just said his name. Uh, Josh anyway, Norman. Josh, they paid Josh $75 million. Right. You know what I mean? And so then it's like, we can't pay you, Breland. Like, so sorry. It's like, in this instance, like everyone can still get their money, right? Everyone can still get their opportunity to get rich in the NFL. And I think that's always really important as opposed to if they were, I don't even know who the best free agent corner is right now. It's supposed to be a down year. But let's say they pay that guy $50 million bucks, and it, then – St. Juice goes, well, you can't pay me now, so what the heck are we going to do? It's kind of the same thing that's happening with Payne and Allen a little bit at the moment. Like, mm. There's a little bit of animosity there because of not that this is perceived animosity. No one said anything to me. Let me just be very clear about that. Because John's been paid, and it kind of prohibits um, Payne from getting paid, if that makes sense. So it's the same kind of dynamic here, but I think the fact that it's a rookie – will be helpful long-term. Totally. And by the way, ironically, you know who one of the uh, top free agent corners on the market is? I have no idea. James Bradbury. Really? Yeah. <laughs> he signed a one nice. year. Remember, he signed just yes. a one-year, like, $7.5 million deal last He's year. He's about to get paid again, man. Holy yeah. cow. Look at that guy. Lucky for him, huh? Just the rich <laughs> get richer. You know what I mean? I mean, that, he might have a Super Bowl ring. Yeah. That's the, that's the ideal outcome. I mean, like, even when uh, – I feel like when, when Morgan Moses got cut here – goes up to New York and, and obviously he's probably not going to get the same, you know, third contract that the Bradbury gets. But when you get cut, land with another team with a one year deal, you know, kind of ball and, and then go get yeah. another multi year deal, like that's huge. Yeah, absolutely. That's the way to do it. Take a man podcast from Odyssey Sports. I'm Greg Hoffman. Uh, you can catch the Hoffman show three to six each and every weekday, of course. Logan Paulson played 10 years in the NFL. You can catch him as well on the Commander's YouTube channel on Command Center. Sam Fortier uh, with us as well. WashingtonPost.com slash sports if you want to check out any of his work. All right, any other lingering Senior Bowl things? News, nuggets, prospects, anything else that, that is uh, hanging out there that we want to hit before we maybe get the latest on the, the OC situation? <clears throat> I just really wanted to quickly touch on guard. I know we talked a lot about tackle specifically, but there were three <clears throat> three guys on at, at guard that I think did an excellent job and deserve to be acknowledged. Because I do think that when you talk about, you know, at least big picture what Washington looks for is they say left tackle, right guard, and center, right? So um, Sam did a good job of bringing up center, but we haven't really talked about guards. And I just think the, the kid from TCU, Steve Avili, is a guy that comes out. Everyone's talking about him. He played guard. He played center. Big body, nice footwork. I think the guy that probably had the best week playing guard is Osiris Torrance. He's probably going to be a first-round guy, but you never know with guard, right? He's like, He's got a higher body weight. Sometimes those guys slip a little bit. Maybe he's available for you at 16. I, I think that's unlikely given his tape and given how he played this week. And then I think another guy that Sam brought up is um, the big redhead himself, Cody Monch from uh, – <laughs> from uh, North Dakota State. And, you know, people said he struggled, but I liked what I saw from him at guard. I saw a guy who'd never played guard before in his life and, like, put his mouthpiece in and said, let's let's F and go. And I like that competitiveness. I like his footwork. I like his aggressiveness. I like that he can play center. Like, that position flexibility is something that those other two bigger body guys don't have. So if you're building this roster, I think 16 is probably a little rich for Osiris Torrance, but I saw someone say he's going to go top 19. So that would be kind of right in line with that 16 spot. You know, Steve Avili in the second round, maybe if you really feel like you need a right guard. And then Cody Munch, I think he's probably going to go in the second, but maybe third. Does he give you that kind of swing guard flexibility inside that this team seems to covet? I think it's important to kind of call all those guys out in terms of a team building philosophy. We know we focus a lot on tackle, but I think those guys are also very viable options. 
I got I got two nuggets on interior offensive linemen for Logan. Oh, One, the Michigan center who who has a wild name. It's a wild name. You gonna say it? Try Ola say it. Shuggin Uluwatimi. <laughs> that's how you say it. <laughs> Is that the nugget? Just you have the pronunciation. Well, that, that, that's what, dude. I have you seen the spelling, dude? I because I, no, I, I, I was on, I was on a show and I didn't. They were like Michigan center is who that guy is. He's he had a good week, but yeah, but, but we didn't. No one talked about him because no one can say his name. <laughs> exactly. So I'm here to promote the the Ola Shuggin discourse. <laughs> the second thing. Uh, the second thing is Osiris Torrance, the Florida yep. guard that we just talked about. His nickname is Cybo because he watched Teen Titans and he was a big fan of Cyborg. I don't know if you guys are, or were ever Dude, watching Teen Titans, but that's nugget. my age range. <laughs> that's a great nugget, though. <laughs> so those are two nuggets for you. The, the one thing that I have off Senior Bowl, which isn't necessarily directly reflective of Senior Bowl and probably isn't super surprising, but <clears throat> I think that uh, – I think that this draft class for quarterbacks, particularly the senior bowl quarterbacks, mm. I mean, there, there wasn't a ton of talent, but if, if you're not talking Bryce Young or CJ Stroud, which I don't think they are, I don't think they're moving up. Like, I don't think they have those assets or be willing to part with those assets. I don't think you're going to see them pursue that second tier of guys, the Will Levis, the Anthony Richardson. I think possibly, I think as teams get more time around Richardson specifically because of how, you know, he's just going to, his, Test numbers are going to be crazy, um, yeah. but right now I I really don't see them going after a, a, a rookie quarterback, um, and I think you're, that's going to lead to Sam Howell, obviously. The only one that I would think is even in conversation is the Stanford kid Tanner, I think is his last name. Oh yeah, he's kind of in that. He's not in the second tier. He's kind of the he's like in his own category because he's not. He's way better than the TCU guy. He's way better than the BYU guy, but he's not quite a first round talent. So if they got if they fell in love with him, and I think that's a big if, yeah. maybe the second round, that's the type of guy like the Derek Carr of this year's draft, a guy that is not going to be a first-round pick, but maybe a second or third rounder that has traits in terms of arm talent, intellect that you like, that would be the only guy I'd have an eye on because I think it's just going to be way, way too expensive to move up to get any of those other guys you've been talking about. And I think um, uh, Richardson is, is too far away from anything in terms of, uh, you know, in terms of like um, being ready to play. I think he's probably a year and a half, two years. He's like the Malik Willis, a, a much more talented Malik Willis this year. Let me just say that. Yeah, Tanner and, McKee, the, the Stanford kid you're Yeah, Tanner about. McKee, thank you. And uh, to segue, I don't know if I'm, if I'm taking Craig's job here, but I think – I'm just chilling. You're doing great, Dan. <laughs> Richardson, uh, like, you, like you said, I think he's very far away, but I could see maybe like if a new OC comes in and falls yeah. in love with the kid – and you know he would have to fall too because I don't think they're probably spending sixteen on him. But no. but but you're right. Like uh, you know, it, it seems it seems unlikely at this point. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about how they navigate this process without an OC. Um, and by the way, some teams are doing this without a head coach. Um, they're still playing yeah. the coach hires. Um, but the scouts do their work, whatever. So we talked about that. But ultimately, they do need to hire an OC. Uh, Ron spent part of last week in California with Anthony Lynn uh, and Sam was on the radio actually with me last week. Uh, so you can Ooh. check out the Hoffman show podcast talking a little bit about Anthony Lynn, oh, who he plug. covered. <laughs> I'm just doing my job, Sam. See, it's more than just segues. It's more than just segues. Uh, but Sam, Sam covered uh, Lynn out in, in LA. Um, so, you know, we get, we got that information there, but do we have a timeline now at this point? Do we think like this will happen quickly after the Super Bowl? And, you know, does the fact that they're waiting make you lean towards Biennemi or is this still just a giant process? Because I guess they still have an interview Biennemi, right? Um, and at this point, they won't. So, you know, kind of what's the what's the latest, what's the timeline 
And then, you know, obviously they've got some moves they need to make here somewhat quickly. Like Carson's got to get cut here in the next couple of weeks. They got to make the other contract decisions on that kind of stuff. Uh, I don't think an OC's got, OC's not going to come in and be like, actually, guys, I want to keep Carson Wentz. <laughs> it's like, actually, that's a disqualifying thing. You're not going to be our off- offensive coordinator. So see ya. Um, but, but at what point do they get down to any kind of crunch time in terms of actually making this decision? The timeline, my sense is, is that it'll happen after the Super Bowl. They obviously want to interview the enemy. So once they make that decision, I imagine that Ron has, you know, the the one or two guys that if the enemy flops, that they, you know, that they'll move on to. But I think that when you when you wait and and the hiring cycles in general are, are taking a while. Obviously, like Indy's on its third, right. you know, round of head coaching interviews or whatever. Um, well, if they, you know, to, and not only that, the, those interviews are apparently like twelve hours long. Could you imagine having to sit for thirty six hours with Jim Irsay and then potentially not getting the job? <laughs> oh that sounds awful. God, <laughs> yeah, I, I can't imagine investing like that sort of time uh, in, into what ultimately could could be a bust. But uh, but I think that if you're OC search is going to take a long time and you're going to like draw it out. Having a, you know, one of a star candidate like the enemy that, that really moves in the middle, I think like that totally absolves it. I know that I can't remember if I was talking to you, Craig, or somebody else, but people were like, should you be concerned that it is taking this long? And if you are trying to reel in a big fish, like I don't think so, because ultimately you need to put the, you know, you need to put your offense in the best position to, to be successful. And I could actually hear an argument either way about hey should we keep the same offense that that Howell had so he you know he set up for success better in year two or or should we just take the brightest offensive mind um like I I could kind of be taught like I could hear that argument either way um sure. and so if, if you think the enemy is is the is the best fit then that's then then I'm fine with that and I mean this is just me not knowing that much about hiring co- coaches but I would say that is there a I mean, I don't think there's any incentive to be going fast because I don't feel like they're in they're, right. any of the top offensive coordinator spots, uh, coordinator uh, um, clients or whatever the word is, are going to be like up for this position. So they could, it's all kind of the tier two guys and none of them are going to be like hired away. Right. Does that I mean, how sense? many so, of the other candidates have we heard actually interviewing for other jobs? Like is Charles London in on a bunch of jobs? Is Studisville in on a bunch of jobs? Pat Did Schumer, you talk to him at the senior bowl, by the way? London. Uh, I, I said hello briefly. Yeah, yeah, I think I think he's I think he's uh, <laughs> I think he is waiting to find out like everybody else. Oh, I got you. Okay. Yeah. So you know, if if you can afford, like the the risk in waiting is your top guy says no, like the enemy comes in, interviews you, love him, but he also interviews somewhere else and goes there, and then you're like, oh crap, our second, third, and fourth guy got taken somewhere else. Well, when your second, third, and fourth guy aren't interviewing anywhere else. Uh, or you're their top choice uh, because they can't go anywhere else and get this kind of receiver talent, then you're fine. So I, I don't think that there is, you know, and there's not like there's meetings that are, I mean, there are meetings that are happening in terms of putting together your free agent board and all that kind of stuff, but your your OC can come in pretty quickly. You know, if, th- if this gets to late February, then yeah, that's a problem because now your, your free agency board needs to be set um, pretty much going into the combine as you start to have discussions, preliminary discussions with agents and things like that and get a feel for that early March start uh, in terms of free agency. And you need to know what offensive scheme you're running and, and how guys are going to fit. There's no way, uh, knock on wood, there's no way that that's, this is stretching out that long. They just got to get through the, the Super Bowl because you know one of the guys that they want is, is obviously unavailable at the moment. Well, that's kind of an interesting thing too. It's like if they don't have an OC hired before free agency, it'll show you how impactful the OC's opinion or voice is in that process. And some teams, like it's 
not very impactful, quite frankly. It's just like, this is who we're providing you make it work, you know? And I think they're, they're, that's not an unusual thing. So maybe they don't, maybe that's not even a thing for them. Maybe they don't even care about having his opinion because they just want to find the best people. That, that went so well last year on the quarterback thing. Well, I, you know, it's, <laughs> it is interesting, but I mean, I, I hate, I hate the, like, again, we've talked about this on the podcast. We've talked about this on the radio. I don't like the revisionist aspect. And I know Craig, you felt very strongly that he wasn't the right fit here, but there were a lot of people that were very pro Carson's acquisition here and they thought it would be a good fit. So I think it's important, irrespective of what the coordinator said, because I've heard things about the coordinator's opinion that I don't think are um, that, that that necessarily support you want his, you want it, you wanted his involvement in this. But what I'm saying is like I think they do a fine job of evaluating talent at the front office here. I, I would I would uh, I would echo that, and I think that you, like it's sort of like go, kind of going back to the the drafting, like it's all about process and, and result and, and and I don't think that process is definitely more important than result because result is pretty important too but you got to evaluate like who are we bringing in here like when I look at the offensive coordinators and you see everybody is 48 to 57 and they all like you know they all have like a ton of experiences as running backs coaches and you know except for you know probably Pat Shermer but uh what is what is setting you like best up for success and I think that you probably want to go away from the system you just had and make it more adaptable. Who is going to come in here and like retrofit their scheme to your talent? Because as we saw at the beginning of last year, like, you know, uh, Justin Jefferson, Devonte Adams, Tyree kill, all the dudes that got paid in the echelon of Terry were getting, you know, force fed targets and Terry was getting like six targets at the end of blowouts, you know? And so I think that like, who's going to come in here and maximize your talent right away. And, you know, I, I don't necessarily know who that is right now, but you got to be confident if you're in the interview room that you're getting that guy. Mm. Yeah, the so guy who cool. used to force feed Tyreek uh, footballs might be a <laughs> might be a good idea. I don't know. I'm just a guy who has a radio show and a podcast. Uh, all right. Anything else on anything else? Are we done for today? Yeah, have I mean, you guys uh, have you guys covered the the likeliness of of, of what it feels like uh, Deron Payne getting the franchise tag. Have you guys already covered that? No, we haven't talked about that. Um, I wouldn't say we've done like a likeliness. I mean, and also I feel like uh, Senior Bowl is some is, is a time again where information gets exchanged and those odds tend to change a little bit. So we can we can certainly do a little Deron Payne bonus here. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think I think that's the way the situation looks like it's heading because uh, you're not probably going to pay him a long term deal as we discussed like with, with John Allen, but. If you're Ron Rivera, this this to me sort of echoes, and I think they could approach the draft the same way they did last year, where you're looking at a lot of seniors, guys that have played a lot of football, had a lot of starts, because you need them to come in and contribute right away. If you're Rivera and you're four, potentially under a new owner, you, you need to perform. And so what is another way to do that? It's to keep around like your other game-wrecking defensive tackle at times. And so... Uh, you know, the tag this year is, is 18.9 million, which is a, a shade, uh, right around, you know, obviously where John Allen's getting paid in, in terms of APY, um, wouldn't wreck your, your deal. If you, if you want to work out a contract with Cam Curl, you could structure it in such a way that, you know, uh, that, that keeps them both around. So to me, if Ron Rivera is pushing all his chips in on this year, like that's the, the move that like, it's the lever you have to pull. Cause it's the best one that you have as a, as a personnel guy. So if we had to rank these, uh, not likelihood, if we go back to like efficacy here, right? What's the, what's the actual best thing for the football team? They can tag and keep, tag and trade, sign to long-term or tag and sign, you know, long-term. So like or let walk, one, one year, 
Or they could, but like I don't think that's on the table. That's obviously yeah. the worst case scenario. Hey, lose the really good player for nothing. Great job, guys. Uh, we don't have to. We don't have to rank that one. That's the. I mean, bottom. they've done that before, though. Yeah. Well, there's that. Um, so if we go tag and just let him play out the tag, which then you you have that potentially next year where he walks for nothing. Um, tag and trade or tag and ultimately sign to a long term. Like, what do we think is the actual best outcome here? And how far down is like the tag and keep him on a one year thing if you do indeed think that's third? Well, I think tag and trade is certainly like, like could be like I could hear the argument for that being the best move for the football team because, you know, obviously you're recouping assets, you're, you're getting it in the, in the longer term. But my question is, is Ron Rivera thinking about is he prioritizing the health of this team in mm. 2024 and 2025? Because he's not incentivized to do that. Like whoever right. this new owner is, and, and, and you know, we're going to operate under that assumption in, until we hear otherwise is going to come in here and say, okay, like his first year on the job, is he seeing Ron Rivera win games? Is mm. he seeing them, he, him put them in the playoffs? And while it's great that like, you know, maybe ultimately in, in the hypothetical trading Duran for a, a second round pick or whatever it is, would be the right move. But Dron Payne on the field is going to help you win more games than, than the draft pick will. Yeah, I mean, I think if you just kind of take a step back and you say, like, what is what is the what is the absolute best thing regardless of circumstance? It's tag and trade, in my opinion, because you're not going to be able to get him to a long term extension. Him, Montez or Chase Young. Right. And you drafted Fedarian Mathis in the, in the second round last year. John Ridgeway's come up and I think have shown you that you can be serviceable without <clears throat> without that elite player at the position and then in terms of building the roster out i just think there's so much value there right you get younger you get more people you get more bites at the apple essentially so to me i think that is the number one way to go about it but i do agree with sam i don't think that there's a huge incentive for ron to be like what's the best thing for the commanders it's like what's the best thing right this second because if we don't win a ton of games like i'm going to be looking for a job and that is a scary proposition. So I think he's going to try and put himself in the best position to win as many games as he possibly can. Because the other thing that I think is important about the Deron Payne thing <clears throat> is there's a reason that he holds the franchise record for sacks. It's not a very likely outcome moving forward. In terms of him getting a ton of sacks, his value will never be higher than this, in my opinion. So you got to capitalize on that. That is something that this franchise has been really bad at in the past. You know, you talk about like whether it's Kirk is probably the most obvious example, but letting guys walk when there is value there. Um, and could you tag and, and let him walk next year and say, hey, at least we got one more year and just kind of hope you got his best years because football is a hard game and guys can deteriorate quickly? Uh, I, sure, I guess that's possible. And then you wind up not overpaying. Um, that That's certainly possible but i also think because you made the carson deal last year like recouping draft capital is something they need it's something that uh, i've almost asked you guys about seven times in this podcast but like how likely is it they make a trade because they don't have their third round pick and so mm. that that is something to consider is like okay if they could get a second and a third back for duran like do you do that and and do you hope if you're rivera that you can draft well you, that mathis comes back that ridgeway is what you you know what he looked like this year obviously grown into year two i think there there is an argument to be made and i don't i don't know like is ron probably operating under the premise that this year i have to win as many games as possible to keep my job yeah and by the way if there was no ownership change going into a lame duck year in year five he'd probably be operating that anyway there's also a piece of ron that is like an eternal optimist and sometimes blind to the the situation around him and i could see him going like hey i am like, I'm good. We're building. I'm on my little five-year plan. 
And so I'm going to keep building this because I think that I will be around for the long term because we're going to be we're going to be good. I believe in our football team. So I don't I don't know. Like Ron obviously presents publicly well that it's always the way he thinks Uh, privately. I'm sure he's like, yeah, I kind of like the money I'm making and would like to not have to look for a job. And I don't know how many more jobs I'm going to get like that. Let's be realistic about that, too. Right. You know, we kind of talked about it with Carson in the trade last year. Like is this Carson Wentz's last chance. This is Ron Rivera's last chance. There's no way he's getting another head coaching job after this. Certainly not one with the power and the contract that he has now. So I, I do wonder if like how much that weighs in and if they get a really, really good offer. Um, and it also depends on when the time comes in because they could tag him and the offer could come in April and the new owner's in place and the new owner's like, yeah. Uh, or maybe he's even hired a new like executive vice president of football mm. operations. And that, that person's like, yeah, we're making that deal. Like, I don't care what you want, Ron. Like, that's this is this would be stupid to turn down. So there's a timeline element, too, to the new ownership that, that could obviously affect this contract moving forward. Um, what they are willing to give pain, uh, what they are willing to trade, all those kinds of things. All right, that's it, it's, I uh, guess. It's, it's so <laughs> nice to be on a real podcast instead of that John Kyle report, man. <laughs> Just had to get that in there. <laughs> dig it, dig it all the time. I knew I should have just made my point and then ended the show without anybody <laughs> getting a chance to say anything. I left space and look what Sam did with it. All right. Uh, that's Sam Fortier of the Washington Post. You can read his work at WashingtonPost.com slash sports. Uh, and we will be back on Thursday with the latest on the OC search if there's any new news and uh, more draft stuff because that's kind of our lives between now and April. Uh, for Sam and Logan, I'm Craig, and we'll see you next time on Take Care.